0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 497. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. I'm your host, Matthew Marister. not Riley Bowman. He is sick. So we've grabbed control of the computer software and we're going live without him. Um, But don't fear, I am joined by Brian McLaughlin, the guy behind Mountain Man Medical. What's up, Brian? What's going on, Matthew? I'm happy to be here. Yep, yep, yep. We were just chatting before about how it's been quite a long time since you were on the podcast. And, uh, we had the opportunity to, uh, to get you on here. And I'm going to muddle through this and get you, uh, speaking on a topic that you know a lot about. Um, and th- specifically, we're going to talk about the difference between high velocity and low velocity gunshot wounds, um, some considerations in treatment and things like that, right? Definitely. Yep, yep. And, uh, before we get into that, we're also going to, uh, or right at the end of the uh, show, Brian's going to announce the winner of our podcast giveaway. So stick around for that in case you are the lucky winner. Um, and then we'll also tell you what the next, uh, prize giveaway we're giving, uh, for the next, next week's podcast. And we got to bring in the sponsors. Um, First, it only makes sense uh, that Mountain Man Medical would be sponsoring this episode. If you're not familiar Mountain Man Medical, um, you can get trauma kits, um, you can get refill kits, training, um, individual parts um, to build your own trauma kit if you want. there is video training, blog posts, all kinds of training courses and things like that. And Brian McLaughlin is the man behind Mountain Man Medical. Um, so if you haven't um, been over to Mountain Man Medical, it's mountainmanmedical.com. Make sure you head over there. Um, the the most economical, p- economically priced uh, trauma kits with high grade um, uh, p- uh, pieces inside, right? Product inside is, uh, is not cheap knockoff stuff. It's all high grade stuff that you're going to find in other medical kits, just priced lower, uh, and you get the training as well. So, uh, very cool. And our other, uh, sponsor is CCW safe. Um, they are a tremendous self-defense legal service membership out there. Um, probably th- run by the most experienced guys. Um, Nearly all of them are former police officers who actually have been involved in shootings, uh, so they know the dynamics of that uh, side of things. Um, Trial counselors, um, you know, that have years of experience, decades of experience defending people. You might have heard of uh, a guy named Don West who is part of the George Zimmerman defense. He is part of CCW safe. Um, So just an incredible group of guys that cover um, you if you ever are involved in, in a uh, defensive gun use. And um, yeah, you want guys like that coming to your defense uh, without a doubt in a situation like that. So check out CCW safe, Um, use the code CC podcast, and I believe you'll get 10 or 15% off. Um, We'll check before and let you know, but uh, you will get a discount. So CC podcast is the code for that. All right. So I think we fulfilled our membership uh, or our sponsor um, messages. And I want to get into this because this is going to be kind of a deep conversation. Um, And there's a lot of confusion about Gunshot wounds and things like that. So, Brian, I know on Mount Man Medical website and on your YouTube channel, um, you constantly are putting out videos talking about uh, different topics that y- you see people having questions about. And one of them was uh, the difference between high velocity and low velocity gunshot wounds the average listener might be saying, well, what's the difference? What does it matter? Um, You made an awesome video that had a lot of interest. So that's why we kind of ran with it for this episode, because so many people were interested in this topic. So um, if you can get into a little bit, um, just basically before we start, I guess, uh, for those that don't know who you are, or why we should be listening to your advice at all, can you give like, you know, a little bit Basic description of your training and, and and where you're coming from with this.
1: Okay, yeah. So i I um, started learning medical when I was when I was young. My dad was an EMT and a firefighter, so I started learning that stuff early. He was also the assistant chief um, at our volunteer fire department out where we lived, and he uh, would per- occasionally go on calls. You know, to go. Rescue people and rollovers and different uh, accidents around the area, and so I had the opportunity to go with him um, to see some of those things, and I got a chance to kind of see, you know, a medic, a competent medic in action early, and so that kind of helped me quite a bit um, as I um, as I progressed in my uh, my studies, um, and then I uh, joined the military uh, a couple years after high school. And um, joined up with the the Navy and got sent to the Marine Corps and uh, had a blast. Yeah, I loved it. It was a great time. Great experience. I miss it. Um, I'm glad I'm out, but I do miss it. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was a lot of fun. Um, something that I've realized since I've been out of the military. I spent some time in Afghanistan doing some combat operations, some very heavy kinetic work there. Got a chance to see a lot of different stuff um, and, uh, work on a lot of different people and really kind of come into my own as a competent medic. And I've learned a lot from that experience and it's, it's so much fun being able to share what I've learned with people who can benefit from it, who are interested in it. You know, that's, that's always the dream, you know, to be able to talk to people who are actually interested in things that you're interested in and passionate about the same things that you are. And after the military. Um, while I was in the military, I did, I also worked in the ER out at 29 Palms. So I got a chance to hang out with some, some very quality ER doctors. A lot of them were SWAT doctors. So they worked on SWAT teams in the area and they would come to our ER for their main job. And then part-time they would be SWAT doctors. So I got a chance to really discuss a lot of combat medicine and kind of break down and learn from doctors in a real world environment, how to really take care of people the most effective way that I could. So I love that. I just soaked up all of that kind of stuff. And it helped me a lot in my uh, my deployment to Afghanistan. And ever since, it's uh, it's been a big benefit to me. After I got out of the military, I was kicking around a lot what I was going to do with myself. And I thought, well, I've got these medical skills. Maybe I can go you know, be a nurse or a doctor or something like that. So I started going to school for it. And pretty quickly, I realized that my passion for medicine only really extended as far as combat medicine, you know, tactical combat, casualty care. That's my bread and butter. That's what I enjoy the most. It's an extension of combat. And my role in that team and that unit of combat is to, to protect my guys as best I can from very bad wounds, try to get them home to their families and help keep them as comfortable and you know, as, as reassured as possible. That, that was something I really enjoyed. Um, but when I got out of the military and I started thinking about going to medical school, I realized I, I didn't really enjoy that part of it. Um, I enjoyed the combat aspect of it more. And now with Mountain Man Medical, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't focus too much on that, but it's my favorite topic. So I really love talking about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so it's safe to say that when we're getting information from Brian about gunshot wounds, we're not talking about some dude that, you know, sat for four years in as a Navy corpsman and poked people with IV needles all day. Right. Like, so um, I appreciate that, that you're willing to, you know, share that because, um, because it is uh, something that is, you know, kind of emerging as, as very important as more and more people carry firearms. Right. Um, We start learning the importance of having medical gear on you. Um, and what better, I I can't think of a better, um, something better to learn than how to help somebody stabilize somebody. So even if I can't fix them, I can stabilize them enough to get them to the people that can. Um, so whether it's a gunshot wound or, you know, your kid falls and, uh, breaks an arm or something like that. Um, being able to do those things to 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 get them to the right place and and um, is super important. So
1: yeah, that's an that's an excellent uh, thing to think about. Like as a medic, as a first responder with basic trauma skills and basic trauma gear, you're not going to fix them. Mm-hmm the doctor, the trauma surgeon is going to fix them. They're the doctor and the trauma surgeon. They are the ones that are actually going to save their lives. All that we are doing is keeping them alive long enough to get to the doctor. That's
0: all that matters. And and that kind of leads us into this whole discussion about gunshot wounds in general and, and more specifically high velocity versus low velocity, right? Like um, we're not, you know, even you, with a trauma bag, um, is are not going to be able to properly, um, fix somebody in the field, right? Like you have to get these people to, uh, an OR emergency room or something where, um, more, more procedures can be done. Right. Um, and so I think the idea of, um, just breaking down, okay, I have, um, I've been shot or somebody has been shot. What's the difference between being shot with a handgun versus a rifle round? High velocity versus low velocity.
1: So uh, velocity is extremely important to the amount of damage that is caused to human tissue or just any live tissue. Right. I mean, this applies the same exact way to anybody that's hunting out there, Um, but the same. uh, So. You've got low velocity and high velocity calibers, and the low velocity tends to be pistol caliber. Um, you know, like you've got your uh, 380s, 9 millimeter, uh, 45 caliber. Those are going to be moving much more slowly than something like 5.56, 2.23, 308, uh, 7.62 by 39. You know, all those are going to be moving very, very quickly. And the reason why that's important is because the low velocity calibers are have low energy so that low energy when it enters the human body it does two things one it creates a permanent wound channel and that is the hole that you would expect to see from a gunshot wound the hole that the bullet makes as it travels through the tissue is what's called the permanent wound cavity. But you also have what's called the temporary wound cavity. And that is the shock wave coming off of the bullet as it enters the body. And every bullet wound has both a permanent wound channel and a temporary wound channel. But the low velocity calibers that temporary wound channel is substan- substantially small because there's low energy. There's a, a small shock wave traveling through the body. When compared to a high velocity caliber, like a rifle round, those are generating lots of uh, of a temporary wound cavity. So not only do you have the added destruction of the bullet as it passes through the body, but you also have a uh, this temporary wound cavity that flexes the tissue out in all directions and it can rupture other organs and tissue and blood vessels in the area. So even if you don't make a direct hit on a liver or a kidney or a spleen or something like that, that temporary wound cavity might be large enough with a rifle round that it can destroy those arteries, even if or those blood vessels and, and organs, even if it doesn't directly impact him. So the damage tends to be much more significant. Um, and if you were to, I, I did a video a while back on the Kenosha shooting when that uh, knucklehead shot that other guy in the bicep. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you if you watch the video of when that happened, you can see that guy's bicep like just blow apart And the reason for that is because the temporary wound channel was so big when that bullet entered the bicep at such a close proximity, it was moving so fast with so much energy that the tissue was not able to contain that temporary wound cavity. And it basically just blew that bicep apart. So if you were to do that same thing with, you know, like a 380 or a nine millimeter, the damage would be significantly different.
0: So 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 here's uh, I'm I'm thinking, as um, a lot of the listeners might be thinking here, um, I carry a firearm, right? A handgun for self-defense. And there's a lot of debate and I don't want to get into because we've we've done episodes on um, what's the best handgun caliber for defensive uh, use. Right. Um, But what you're kind of framing out here is that the permanent wound channel the the hole that's made by the by the projectile um is sort of less important as far as you know uh, um the damage it, it causes than the temporary cavitation or damage of that uh tissue when because of velocity and how how it affects the tissue is that summarize it. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Energy. How much energy is behind that bullet? How much powder, you know,
0: and how fast is that bullet moving? And, and that's some somewhat one of the reasons why it, you know, a 223 is a small diameter, but has a great amount of energy in it compared to shooting a 22, the, the same caliber, but through a, a lower velocity, correct? Exactly. And
1: because that bullet is so small, it it's able to deliver so much energy into the tissue that you get far less over penetration than you would from pistol calibers. So not only are pistol calibers um, do less damage to the human tissue, but you also get greater penetration. Um, and, and you can have the risk of over penetration, of course, and that's a huge risk, in, especially in a defensive situation.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, I'm actually—it's kind of good timing here. I'm actually working on a on a, a content piece for the for the site. Um, it, it, you know, going through um, different uh, different uh, mass shootings and saying okay well h- what kind of weapons are m- mainly used in mass shootings right and while handgun cal handguns are used in in the vast majority of them there are a, a substantial amount of mass shootings that involve um the use of rifles okay so we're talking now about that high caliber high velocity uh, potential gunshot wound right so um it, for home for self-defenders concealed carriers, the importance of understanding the difference between the two is important because if we're, um, in a, in a gunfight with somebody who might be robbing us with a handgun, that may, we may be able to survive a, um, a close proximity gunshot wound from a handgun versus, or at least understanding that someone shooting a rifle, uh, that those, those, um, gunshot wounds are going to be much more devastating right exactly yeah you can't like
1: if you're going if you know you're going to a fight you better be bringing a rifle you know like the only reason why we carry pistols is because it's very cumbersome to carry a rifle everywhere <laughs> right. you know like we we need something small that we can com- you know and compact and is surprising to our adversary that it takes away their entire will to fight if all of a sudden this this you know this uh the prey that they're after because these are all predators the prey that they're after suddenly's got some teeth and a willingness to put up a fight you know a lot of their fight goes out of them so um you know having a gun on you is 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 important and good um, but if you have the chance to bring a rifle, you should definitely be doing that, but you also need to understand the limitations of the gear that you're using. And you also have to understand, especially if you're going up against an active shooter situation, if you're like me or you, or a, probably a, a good portion of the listeners of your podcast, they envision themselves doing something to stop an mm-hmm. active shooter situation. And, um, and you've got to realize, and you got to know and understand the situation and that you are going to be hopelessly outgunned if you're going up against somebody with a rifle and while a huge majority of these uh, active shooters are using pistols a lot of the times they're also using rifles on top of the pistol so you kind of get this skewed um data that says that pistols are used more often when it's yes they are used more often but usually it's pistols and then they also include a rifle
0: or a shotgun sure sure so yeah um and so, you know, not only is it important to kind of understand the limitations and capabilities of your own gear, but also what they're bringing against you. Right. So um, and and I think this also applies. You talked about the overpenetration, but I think this also goes into our decision making process or what we go through to choose a home defense gun. Right. Like uh, I know a lot of people that have mixed ideas about over penetration with um you know a a two two three round versus uh they they believe that a two two three round might over penetrate walls inside their homes but have no problem shooting double out buck um and, and don't really understand or haven't paid enough attention to the data that's out there in the research about uh penetrating walls and things with different projectiles and stuff but um not just penetration of walls and stuff but the actual how it affects an attacker's body right yes
1: yeah yeah the uh, over uh, it's counterintuitive you assume because a rifle does more damage it's moving faster and it's more deadly that it's going to overpenetrate more but the actual the opposite is actually true um there's quite a few very interesting videos to be found on youtube one of my favorites uh discussing this particular topic is by john lovell he kind of breaks down very um Uh, very, he breaks down really well, how all of this kind of plays into it. You know, the the difference between pistols and rifles and it's counterintuitive, but rifles are, are better for home defense. And, and when it comes to shotguns, you know, if you're firing a bunch of buckshot at somebody, each one of those buckshot pellets is roughly the same size as a nine millimeter. And they're all moving slowly. So you do a lot of damage if you hit them with all the pellets. Um, and it can be very devastating, but you also risk that over penetration, um, even with a shotgun. Sure, and, sure. and it's harder to make more precise shots, so that even if you do over penetrate, you know you're not s- lobbing rounds into your kid's room, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's always the 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 balance I have, or or um, something to consider when somebody says, "I'm well, I'm concerned about over penetration, um, but I'm not concerned so much about sending." you know, multiple rounds down a, a direction and hoping that they all hit, but maybe they don't, right? Like, so you should be concerned with over-penetration if you're shooting multiple rounds in a direction, especially, you know, we have to consider um, the the application in a home if I'm shooting a threat and my spouse or my child is, be engaging that threat like being attacked by that threat i'm not so sure that i want to be launching multiple rounds downrange at the threat and my loved one who might be right next to the threat right mm-hmm. so um being able to have a, a have a firearm that's um more direct and i can i, I can get more direct fire um <clears throat> i think is is appropriate um and And obviously, you know, if we're talking about rifles and shotguns, um handguns, right? There's a lot of handguns used for personal defense or home defense. Um, but I think when we start looking at the difference between gunshot wounds, um, we realize that the actual mortality rate of handgun ammunition, and when when you're talking about low velocity, right? Like, it's all relative. We're still moving extremely fast, but it's relative, right? Compared to a rifle round, they're moving much slower. And so when we look at, um, uh, you might've done some research on this, um, or have some general ideas, but I know that the, um, fatality rate of, from handgun, uh, rounds is much lower than rifle rounds for, for all the reasons why you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. The overpenetration is a big deal. You know, changing the angle of attack is always a big deal. I always try to make sure that I'm uh, in my house. I know the directions that I can shoot and the directions that I can't shoot, you know, and I've already kind of planned that out in my own head. And that's the, be- be- the benefit of fighting from your own castle is, you know, you know, the angles of attack that you should use yeah, and that sounds. you shouldn't use. So I think that that's an excellent way to look into it. And when it comes to, the amount of damage that's done versus uh, high, ca- uh, high velocity and low velocity. It's, it's, it's a pretty substantial difference. And most people don't really uh, understand that too well. And most people, most people have a pistol. Or most of the people that I know have at least have a pistol <laughs> and, and they, um, and they use that for everything, their recreation shooting, their concealed carry, their home defense. And you can, you can do that. Of course, you know if you're just low on money and you you just can't afford it, then something's better than nothing. But um, understanding those differences is going to help you uh, come out on top in a bad situation.
0: Sure, sure. And so um, this is just one of the elements when we're talking or, or a couple of the elements that go into choosing a home defense gun. But this obviously isn't the topic, but I thought it was important to bring that up. Um, as we're talking about gunshot wounds, right, it would be important to talk about, you know, we're, we're talking about handgun handgun caliber or low velocity typically versus rifle high velocity. And many people have both of these guns in their home or train with both of them. So what are some considerations of, let's say, you know, there's obviously a difference between being out on the range and treating uh, one of these gunshot wounds as opposed to being at home and, and having an accidental discharge at home. Right. So, um, or negligent, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and so what are some considerations in both, in, in both areas? Um, you know, con, 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 considering that, uh, high velocity gunshot wounds are much more, uh, am, you know, re- re- probably require a, a, a much more intense, uh, workup or, or whatever you want to call it treatment.
1: Yes. Yep. Definitely. So, so one of the big things, you know, um, is your availability of trauma gear. Mm -hmm. Of course I, I am with Mount man medical, we sell trauma kits. So, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I am very, it is super important to have trauma, trauma gear on. If you don't buy it from us, buy it from somebody else. You got to have some sort of trauma gear on you. Can you make a difference with nothing? Yes, you absolutely can. But your life and theirs will be way better off if you've got something to control bleeding and other basic trauma stuff, if you've got the gear available to handle it. You don't, like some people say, well, I'll just make a tourniquet if I need one, or I'll just use my belt. And the problem with that is if you're making a tourniquet, you still have to run around and find all the things you need to make a tourniquet. And you know what's happening while that's while you're trying to hunt up a stick and uh, a t shirt and all the stuff that you need? They're bleeding out, you know, and you don't have time to be running around and do that. Now, if you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. You just got to make do. But if you do have a choice, the better choice is to have. Uh, a, a good quality trauma kit nearby that you have ready access to. And when you're at home and you have like a negligent discharge or there's a home invasion and you take around, which is absolutely possible, then you need to have a way to take care of yourself. Or maybe that knucklehead that just entered your home unannounced, fired a weapon through a wall, hit your kid or your wife. Are you going to have the stuff that you need to keep them stable until EMS can arrive? I mean, you handle the situation with your firearm. You go to the range. You train every day. You do your dry fire practice. You've got a fantastic pistol presentation. But your family members still die. That's you know that that's that's a not good for anybody. So that um, having a, uh, a a trauma kit is super important. But it's also important to realize your proximity to a higher echelon of care. If you're in your home, especially in the United States, you're not too far away from a hospital. Pretty much, no matter where you are, even if you're in a rural area, you know you can be airlifted fairly quickly to you know a, a new place. Um, but when it comes time for uh, the range, most of these ranges are in very uh, remote locations, mm-hmm. and the ability for EMS to arrive at your station is going to be significant, and you need to kind of plan for that, um, and and. Trauma gets far more complicated the longer you have to sit on somebody. Um, You know, a lot of people have heard about um, uh, the platinum 10 minutes or the golden hour, you know, that you have a short period of time that you have to be able to get them to the hospital and get them taken care of. And you don't want to be sitting on them for too long. So there are some techniques for handling things like that. If you are going to be sitting on someone for a long period of time, Um, there's some things that you can do. I don't think we've got time to get into all that today, but yeah, that training is the most important thing. Um, gear is great, but training is way more important. You have to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it or else you're not going to make any kind of a difference or or a very small difference.
0: Right. And, and I think it's super important to point out. You, you talked about gear, having gear. A lot of people will be like, "Well, I took a, you know, a first aid class, right?" Or uh, on the one hand, so I, I'm totally, you know, good to go for for any anything that comes my way. And then on the other spectrum, we have people that are like, "Well, I, I, it must require some really extensive and complicated gear and a whole host of training." um, before I'll even be able to do any of this stuff, apply a tourniquet or put a pressure dressing on. So like, I don't even want to get involved in trying to learn it because it must be so difficult. And what would your answer be to that? Yeah.
1: Well, I I mean, I got a lot of people who say I I was in the army back in 1966, so I'm good. i like, well, things have changed a little bit since then, you know, and, And I I appreciate that you have, uh, you know, you've gotten some training, and that's better than nothing. But even for me, I've only been out of, um, out of the military and out of being an EMT for a very short time. And things change rapidly in the medical field. You know, there's constantly people doing research and developing new ideas and techniques and procedures for keeping people alive. And things that we used to think is absolutely 100% true, you should never ever do this thing or you should always do this thing like now they're like all right we were totally wrong about that we (sighs) now think that you should not do that or you should do that you know and i have to stay on top of it myself because you know i've got tons of experience but things change and you and and things will change for you too so you need to have current training you you need to currently understand what you do and even if you did a class that was fantastic and quality, but it was a couple of years ago, there's a good chance you don't remember what's going on. You know, there's a good chance you're going to miss something key that's important that you're going to forget in the middle of a very stressful situation. You know, it you gotta you have to know this stuff for it to be a, a, a good difference. And the good thing is, this stuff is not hard. They let guys like me do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can do this, you can do this. It is so basic and so easy. It just takes like a couple of hours to kind of learn the basics and then revisiting those things on a quarterly or a, a bi-yearly. What was the bi-yearly? It's bi- not bi- bi-annual. Oh, yeah. There you go. Our bi-annual basis.
0: Yeah. so so, yeah and and, you know being an infantry marine and being around a lot of corpsmen um you know a a lot of them probably um got a lot of experience just testing things out on marines right (laughs) and probably said after that like this isn't really your cup of tea maybe you should go do something else but uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know it's it isn't what what i like about it is that like when i'm watching your videos or when we're talking and stuff about um how do you do this or what what are some considerations it really is simple in in its in its concept right because we're not trying to be like we mentioned trauma surgeons we're trying to be that first person who says how can i get this person stabilized as much as i can And get them over to the people who can take over and and treat them. And, um, you know, it it always kind of bothers me when somebody presents this like um, either yes or no question like, well, uh, I know you shouldn't use a, a belt as a tourniquet, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's true. But like we don't have to be so binary, right? Like we live in a world where you can actually get a real tourniquet. Right. Like, and so you don't have to have this option of, well, either I use my belt or I don't use anything at all. It's like, no, dude, you have another option. It's carry a tourniquet. Right. And so um, I think when we look, when we're starting to talk about the medical gear and we'll talk about how to treat these gunshot wounds uh, generally, because I know it's important and that's probably why a lot of people are are still listening Um, because they want to know like what, what, okay. So great. What do I do? Um, but the gear you need is very, very basic. Um, and so go through kind of like a quick, I know we talk about the March, um, uh, acronym, right? So give, just give a quick basic overview of the March. You don't have to get involved because we have that awesome, uh, course that we'll talk about later. Um, but like, just go over that and then talk about some of the different, um, Uh, pieces of gear that somebody might want and how to use them to treat these different gunshot wounds in a general sense. Right. Okay.
1: Well, the the main thing that you need to pay attention to is bleeding. That's what's going to kill you the fastest. That's why everybody is so like tourniquets, 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 tourniquets. And that's a super important thing. Um, The problem is, is that especially in an active shooter situation, um, tourniquets are less important they're still very important. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't carry tourniquets or nothing like that. Don't don't get me wrong. Very important, but in an active shooter situation, you have to understand the dynamics of what's going on. You have a disturbed individual who is only interested in what? Body count. They are trying to stack as many bodies as they possibly can. And what are you dealing with? You are dealing with slow-moving, soft civilian targets. And you see these guys walk around pretty calmly taking shots very accurately. And where are they shooting? They're not shooting for arms and legs. They're shooting for chest torso headshots. And that's where you tend to see a lot of your, uh, your gunshot wounds in an active shooter situation. It's actually fairly rare and it's more accidental on the part of the shooter. If somebody gets hit in an arm or a leg, um, if you take, for example, the, uh, shooting in, um, Las Vegas, uh, which was a massive problem. Um, there was w- only a single person, if I remember correctly, that uh, died from a leg wound. Everybody else was head and chest. Now, a lot of that has to do with the angle of the shooter. You know, he was shooting from an elevated position, and he was raining bullets down, and they're more likely to get hit in the head and chest. Right, you're more, you're less likely sure. to get hit on the arms and the legs. So that's a that's that that has a thing to do with it. But as these offers, uh, as these uh, active shooters are walking around, they are walking slowly and taking their time and making accurate shots. So they tend to hit what they're shooting at. So when it comes to head wounds, there's not a lot you can do. Um, if if it's a graze, great. Try to. Be careful with the bleeding, and you, that's about all you can do. Uh, you can't really apply direct pressure. You risk the chance of shoving bone fragments into the brain. Um, you, you, there's not a lot you can do for that. But when it comes to torso wounds, um, you're going to need a lot of chest seals. So if you're trying to plan for an active shooter situation in your church or your business or something like that, I highly recommend stocking up on extra chest seals. You need at least Two per gunshot wound because you have an entrance and an exit, so you need to be able to patch both of those holes, or you're not going to be preventing any air from entering the chest cavity and causing a tension pneumothorax, which will kill your casualty um, casualties. So um, make sure that you're stocking up on chest seals. They're fairly inexpensive, and realize that you're going to need more than just one or two per casualty. So if they've got four gunshot wounds at different locations on their body, you might need eight chest seals to take care of all of those. So that's a consideration to kind of think about if you're trying to plan a, uh, an active shooter kit, um, which Mountain man medical sells a mass casualty kits. Great for not just active shooters, but any kind of natural man-made
0: disaster or whatever the case is. So um, let me, let me just pause you right there and just say like, just to, to, to break it down a little bit. Um, tourniquets, obviously you're not putting them on body, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, torso injuries or the head injuries, um, or junction injuries. You're, you're using those for the limbs and you're saying, um, most gunshot wounds in mass shooting drills or mass shooters, um, are not of the extremities. Um, however, obviously if you hit a a major artery in the in the arm or the leg, those are situations where having a tourniquet. Or if you have a a cut wound, right, like a, a slash wound from a knife or something that opens something up and and starts pouring out blood, um, those are very important uh, to be treated. To, to have a, a, a tourniquet on on hand to treat those uh, injuries around the torso, upper chest, um, where we're normally targeting. Um, it's important to have chest seals because once those you, you get a collapsed lung, um, you can die from that even if you're not bleeding out. So um, obviously it takes a long longer time but um, it's important to, to 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 treat those. so um, so we kind of covered those types of uh, injuries. What about um, providing when just in general, when would I want to provide direct pressure um, versus maybe, going in and packing the wound, uh, one of these gunshot wounds?
1: So direct pressure is going to be your go-to. You want, if you don't have a tourniquet or a way to control bleeding, then direct pressure is going to be your best benefit. Um, Even if you've got a belt and you want to use that as a tourniquet, it's still better to use direct pressure. Um, All you're going to do is you just take the heel of your palm Because it's smaller surface area, you're going to position your body weight over the wound and you're just going to hold direct pressure right on top of that bullet hole very firmly. And you're not going to let up until EMS arrives, Um, because if you do, they're going to bleed to death. So that is actually a pretty effective way of taking care of bleeding, not nearly as effective as a tourniquet, but more effective than anything else that you can do, like improvise a tourniquet or use a belt. So I always recommend going directly to direct pressure um, if you you can't control bleeding with the tourniquet. Uh, When it comes to wound packing, you don't need anything significant. Um, Quick clot and Kaido gauze are amazing to have. I highly recommend it. But if you don't have it, you can do your own gauze with just a strip of t shirt um, if you, you know, whip out your old pocket knife, cut yourself off a strip, start packing that wound. What that does is it gets pressure into the tissue and on top of the artery. So you're not just applying pressure um, over the wound site. You're providing pressure inside the wound site. And that's why it's so important for wound packing. Um, so, but any even if you wound pack it, you're still going to need to hold direct pressure. So wound packing is a more effective way of... Uh, of taking care of a gunshot wound, but you're still going to need to hold direct pressure on it to make sure that that bleeding is adequately controlled. And I have videos about how to pack wounds. If you're interested in that, you can head over to mountain man medical on YouTube and uh, check those videos out. Um, Go Go on, go on. No. uh, Well, I uh, real quick, I just wanted to say that um, if you are a concealed carry individual and you are looking to carry at least a little bit of medical gear on you, what are you going to carry? And I see people carrying, you know, cat tourniquets and pockets and stuff, especially if you've got those 511 jeans, you know, with those handy little uh, mag pouches on the side, Mm -hmm. that's a decent place to put a tourniquet. Um, But it gets kind of bulky, like the cat tourniquet and the softy wide are kind of awkwardly shaped. They don't fit well into pockets, really. I mean, you don't really notice if you've got a trauma kit you know, running around with you cause it's in the trauma kit, but if you're trying to carry it on your body, it's, it's more difficult to do that. So the item that I would recommend that you carry every day, if you can, and I think you should, um, is the SWAT T it's a lot of people don't like it because it's not approved by the committee of T triple C. Um, which is a military think-take which decides what is acceptable for combat use, combat operations. As civilians, we're less likely to be in combat operations. If you think you're going to be in a combat operation, you should have a full blown-out medical kit. But if you're not anticipating that, but you still want to be a little bit prepared, but you don't have a whole lot of room in your pockets, what do you do? The soft T-wide is a much better option because it packs down so much better than these. It's flat and square. So it slides into a front pocket. So easy and nice. You'll forget that it's there. Um, and it's extremely effective at controlling bleeding. Now it doesn't, it doesn't secure quite as well as the cat tourniquet or the soft tee, right? The cat tourniquet, you have this nice little clips and you can close that off. And there's, there's still a chance that this is, can come loose you always need to recheck your interventions your tourniquets your chest seals to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do um, but there's a good chance that this is going to stay where it needs to and continue to do its job whereas this the the swat t you tuck it under itself so it's still very secure i've never had a problem with it coming loose but it's a possibility so that tends to be the reason why the committee for C doesn't approve this but i know personally tier one operators that are running this in their kits. They especially like this for clandestine operations, right? So if they're doing sneak and peek kind of stuff, they're trying to blend in with the local population. They don't have the ability to carry massive amounts of gear. You know, they might just have a Glock 19 and a pocket knife on them. If they're lucky, a lot of times they don't even have that. Sometimes they're, they have to do operations where they're, they're not allowed to carry anything. Right.
0: So, So, so the SWAT T, and I remember I, when this first came out, I, I, I was pretty pumped about it because it was, it is so compact and easy. You know, it is, I don't want to say easy to use because some of the other ones are easier to apply and things, but it, it can be used in multiple different ways. And, and, and um, it, it is very compact and easy to carry. So for somebody who says, well, I'd rather use my belt than have nothing, putting something the size that's probably thinner than a deck of cards in your pocket. Alleviates that whole issue of having nothing because it's very easy to carry.
1: Yeah, it's like you said, it's about the size of a pack of cards. You know, it's really easy to carry. It's not awkwardly shaped, so it doesn't bulge in weird places. And and yeah, it's it's much easier. And the the yeah, the benefit, the reason why these top-tier operators are running the SWAT T is because the SWAT T is like its own complete trauma kit. It does way more than just stop bleeding. It stops bleeding very well. Um, It has an especially wide band. This is four inches, I believe. I always forget the exact dimension, but I think this is four inches. And the reason why that's important is because the the wider that the tourniquet is, the greater pressure it will place over a larger surface area. And if you have somebody with big old thunder thighs, you know, um, like me, you know, um, you might have a hard time compressing that artery, even with a cat tourniquet enough to stop that bleeding. You might need to do two cat tourniquets just to control that bleeding. So if you only are stocking one, one tourniquet, there's a, ch- there's a chance that you might not even be able to control that bleeding with just that one tourniquet. Whereas the SWAT um, has a wider band and it's better. The other thing that it does is it reduces the amount of tourniquet pain, all tourniquets, will hurt i've worked on guys without legs who complain more about the tourniquet so it hurts and it's uncomfortable and they'll try to talk you into loosening it up or taking it off do not listen to them they will bleed to death so you need to leave it on but the swat t is more comfortable it's still gonna hurt but it's more comfortable on top of that you can use this as a pressure dressing After you've packed that wound, you can use this as a pressure dressing. You can tie it into a loop, use it as a sling for fractures. You can use this to tie splints into place for fractures. You can use it as an athletic wrap. You blow out your knee on the range or something like that, and you need something to kind of help with that, or you twist an ankle. You can use that for this. Um, Chest seal. This is its own chest seal. You wrap it around their chest, and the uh, rubber is an occlusive dressing. It will prevent air from getting into your chest cavity and creating a tension pneumothorax. Um, You need to make sure that you don't wrap it tight. Um, You you need to leave it kind of loose or not kind of loose, I suppose, but you can't wrap it too tight that they aren't able to get that full expansion of their chest. Your chest flexes as you breathe in and out and you need to have that full expansion or you're going to be reducing their ability to breathe, which is pretty important for somebody who's been shot in the lungs, right? So, um, Keep that in mind as well, but yeah, the SWAT T is my favorite tourniquet, and if you want to carry something on you to be better prepared for that, I highly recommend the cat, uh, the the SWAT T. And don't get me wrong, I love the cat and the SWAT T. We sell all three of those on our website, so it's not like I'm making more money off of the SWAT T. This is cheaper by almost half and f- way more effective. So. And, and if you're interested to hear more about that, I have a video coming out on this, on exactly why I like this uh, on my YouTube channel this Friday. It, I'll publish it at about three o'clock on Friday.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's super important. I'm glad you mentioned that you, you're you constantly, I mean, this the the blog posts and the videos you're, you're creating are not things, you're not just doing it haphazardly. This is content that is timely. It's important. It, it explains the gear that you're buying on Mount Mammonical explains how to use it. Um, so you're not just like, Hey, buy this gear and then go get some training and make sure you're good. It's like, okay, buy the gear. And I'm going to walk you through of uh, the, the process of how, how do you actually use it and what are some considerations? And so I think that that, that two kind of pronged approach is really important because I know you know where the heart of um, you know, and Mountain Man Medical is a sister company of us, and and we we all um, are interacting together, and and I know where the heart of our company is, and even all the sister companies that we kind of go out and and, and kind of are, are in control of is that it's not, we're not just selling product. We, we really truly, and this is why we do the podcast. It, it, we're really trying to educate people um, so they can better survive. They can have a higher probability of surviving, not just a gunshot wound, not just a, a shooting, but um, any sort of trauma or uh, potentially not being involved in it or legal issues and all this stuff. So it's, I, I think I was really excited to when, you know, I had the opportunity to, to host the show today because I was like, you know what, I, I really want to get Brian on there because with 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 everything that's going on, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that need to hear this kind of information, um, so they feel more confident that they can survive and they can take care of their family a little bit uh, a, a little bit better, right? Because yeah. emergency times are are. Are uh, something and, and think about this, you know, as you were talking, I, I, I this kind of popped in my head. You know, you're involved in a, a home defense shooting and, and you're inside your home and, uh, you, you know, the, the, the medics, they may the response time might be pretty good, but they're not going to storm in the house and scoop up anybody who's been shot unless they know that there's no longer a threat, so that involves the police getting in there and them securing the area, and then trying. So, like when, when we're thinking about this, we're not just talking about like, okay, well, my nearest, uh, you know, fire fire stations uh, four miles down the road. It, it it it's more complex than that. So we have to be able to be that first. Line to hold, kind of hold the line. That first step to uh, to keep our loved ones, maybe ourselves, um, alive until we can get the people that that have the 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 right gear, right?
1: Yeah, average response time in the U.S. for EMS is 11 minutes. That's pretty dang good. That's that's cooking. But you can bleed out from you can bleed out in two and a half minutes. So even if your fire department is four minutes away, you're still dead. So. You know, having something nearby that you can snatch up quickly, control that bleeding and get that person stabilized is super important. And yeah, d- doing this, you know, doing mountain man medical and, and trying to spread this, uh, this word, uh, like I don't do it for the money, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't do it for the money. Uh, but I love, I just love that I can help somebody out and, maybe help protect them and someone that they love. That's the thing that I keep thinking about, you know, when I study medicine is not how much, you know, I'm going to be able to save my life. You know, it's about taking care of my boys and my wife, you mm-hmm. know, it's I want to be able to save their lives if they are seriously hurt. You know, sure. I'm less concerned about myself. You know, my main purpose is, you know, making sure that they're going to survive whatever nonsense that they get into. I got some savage little boys, but um, when it comes to, um, having trauma gear versus carrying a pistol, I know I'm biased. I'm a medic, but I love guns too. I love combat. I love defensive shooting. I love tactics and skills. I get it. I 100% get it. That carrying a pistol is it's pretty cool. I really dig it too, but you have to kind of think to yourself, what's more likely, what's more likely, am I going to need a pistol? to make a difference in a bad situation, or am I going to need a trauma kit? And most situations, you're only hopefully going to need a trauma kit. You might need both down the road, but you're every single time you're going to at least need a trauma kit. So um, trauma kit, just as more important than carrying a
0: pistol, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, maybe we can put up some other controversial quotes so we can get some people to, to argue with us, but no, I am with, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> well,
1: uh, on top sad. of that, I would like to add, you know, those, those bubbas out there that are getting ready for active shooters, you know, it, I'm hoping you're training be on top of your dry fire and being able to hit your shots and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, um, the thing that you might wind up only using is just, you know, the, the trauma kit that you have on you. Right. And, and you might have to just make
0: that work. And so making it work is kind of important. And so I think w- we got to shift and tell them, uh, to, and I, and I went through this course because I, w- I was making some of the, um, uh, the course questions. Cause, uh, we put together this course called, um, it's called the emergency trauma response course. And, um, uh, it's a tremendously valuable course on talking about gunshot wounds, not just that, but everything that has to do with emergency trauma. Um, and, um, and I thought it was incredible. Um, so it's the emergency trauma response course it goes more in depth, obviously than what we can cover here on the podcast. Um, if you go to conceal forward slash ETR course um, that's emergency trauma response etr course um you can you can check it out uh, i think you can get a dvd version of it if you still have one of those or you can stream it um, but it is an incredible uh incredible resource that is well worth it um and free and, and, yeah and and i just and f- I, I i think that you'll um i i i think that it's necessary for for everybody i really do but um you know i can't force it but um all right so really quick we i I know that um people are excited to um hear who the winner is and so if you're if you're new to the podcast we give a, a each week we take a, a a winner we pick a winner um and you get some sort of cool prize just for signing up. You don't have to be here. We'll contact you. Um, if you go to, um, podcast.concealedcarry.com forward slash weekly podcast giveaway, um, you will, you can enter and you can get multiple entries and stuff. It's free dude. just try it out. See if, uh, see if you, uh, win something. Cause normally we, uh, we give away some pretty cool prizes. So because Brian's here, I'm going to let you run uh, and tell them who won what the gift is or what the giveaway is in, in in about next week well i gotta say uh
1: i'm always impressed by how many ladies you have listening to your podcast and interacting with you guys on facebook i i love because seeing... of riley it's because yeah. right? <laughs> he's just a handsome fella i guess that's yeah. what it is uh yeah so tara c come on down accept your prize that's you
0: perfect perfect tara c we will uh uh reach out to you. So don't worry. Just check your, if your initials are, or your name's Terrace C, uh, check your spam. If you haven't gotten uh, an email from us, Um, what are we giving away next week? I forgot. (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) We're giving away a draw, like the pro training course. Awesome course. It's free. um, And it will it absolutely have you drawing much quicker. Um, so make sure that you enter to get access to possibly, um, you know, possibly winning that, okay. Uh, you don't have to do anything. Um, and, you know, I think um, that it's important just to, before we go out the, the, the final sponsor message, I, 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 if you guys are sticking around, it's important. I just want to let you know uh, that the podcast later on in the afternoon um, Riley's still going to be sick for that one. So, you're going to have uh, Jacob and Brian Eastridge come on. Two awesome guys. I saw the outline for the podcast and it's going to be a cool topic. So, you might want to tune in for that. We're also getting close to episode 500, which we're going to do something special and announce some special things in re- reference to the podcast. Uh, this is 497, later on the day, 498. So, we're getting close. Um, so, be thinking about that. Um, that is going to come uh, next week. So if you're not a normal listener of, or watcher of the podcast on YouTube or f- um, the Facebooks, um, make sure that next week on Wednesday that you're kind of around during this time, because um, we, we're going to be announcing some cool stuff. So it might be something that you want to get um, tune in and watch. And, we have to mention one more time that Mountain Man Medical is a sponsor of the podcast. Today's podcast, very appropriate. Make sure you go over www.mountainmanmedical.com. You can check out all Brian's videos that he was referencing, medical kits, training, all that awesome stuff, as well as CCW safe. Um, make sure that you use the. The code CC podcast. If you uh, sign up for that, you'll get ten percent off. Jacob sent me a message and let me know ten percent off. Um, still an awesome deal. And so, yeah, I appreciate um, Brian you for jumping in here and let me pick your brain. And I, I know just from the comments that these these guys uh, and gals love the information that you're you're putting out on Mount Man Medical and uh, the podcast here today. So. Thanks so much, man.
1: I had a blast. I love coming on talking. Yeah. You're easy to talk to, you know, (laughs) so, uh, and you're handsome. That's why he's handsome. Randy. I like Randy's comment there. That made me laugh. (laughs)
0: He's, he's a rugged man.
1: He's a rugged man. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, um, thanks guys. Obviously we wouldn't be here if you guys didn't listen. So, and gals again. Um, but, uh, we appreciate you guys. Make sure you leave us a a rating on iTunes if you haven't. Send us some email. Let us know uh, some topics, uh, what you guys think of the show. And uh, we appreciate it. We love you guys. Um, Be safe. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I I just want to reiterate training uh, for medical emergencies is, is super important. So um, with that, we'll bid you farewell till the later episode of the day. Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fat, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.